Hi, and welcome to Pod Bless Canada, the McDonald Laurie Institute's podcast. My name is Aaron Woodrick, and I'm the director of the domestic policy program here at the MLI. And joining me today for the podcast is Philip Cross, who's a Monk Senior Fellow with MLI, and who also spent 36 years with Statistics Canada, specializing in macroeconomics. He's here today to discuss his recent report entitled A National Project How Oil Sands Investment and Production Benefit Canada's Economy. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. You know, it's a very interesting report that you've written here on a topic that, as you argue, very important to Canada's overall well being. One thing I wanted to start with was in the title, you draw the distinction between production and investment in terms of economic impact. And we don't always see that. So what should people know about the difference between investment and production? What people need to know is that investment is extremely important to oil sands activity. You can't have production without investment first, of course. But investment tends to be highly unstable, whereas production is extremely stable over time. The best example of that was last year at the height of the pandemic in 2020, less than 1% of jobs were cut in the oil oil sands. Once you start an oil sands plant, barring routine maintenance or acts of God like the fires of a few years ago at Fort McMurray, you're just going to keep producing no matter what. That's the big difference is that jobs are much more stable in the production end of things, but investment generates a lot more activity in the very short term, but it doesn't last in the long term. I see. And, you know, the oil sands are often seen, at least in the media, as an Alberta-only issue. But in your report, you sort of stress that the economic benefits from the oil sands actually extend to the rest of the country as well. So perhaps you could explain a little bit about that. Well, I think people are aware that the oil sands draw workers and supplies from across Canada. I think it's well known, for example, that there's a lot of people fly in and fly out from the Atlantic provinces to work in the oil sands. But this study quantifies these effects. It finds that about 20% of the economic benefits are generated in provinces outside of Alberta. For production, it can be a little higher. But the important thing is that in, in both instances, on average, about one in all five of all dollars generated by the oil sands accrue to provinces not named Alberta. That sounds pretty significant and something we don't hear very much about. And if that's true, if this is something that is beneficial to the whole country, why is it do you think that we are constantly told by this federal government in particular that the future is instead what they call green? And why is there not more focus on areas like the oil sands as a potential economic engine? Well, it's not entirely the whole government that speaks like that. I mean, certain ministers talk as if the future, that 100% of our energy is going to be green in the future. More realistic ministers, like the current Minister of Natural Resources, acknowledges that fossil fuels are going to be a part of the energy mix in the future. In the future, we're going to need energy from all sources, and fossil fuels are going to continue to play a role in that. So any realistic forecast of energy demand in 2050 finds that fossil fuels are going to be a part of that. Now, it's very important to be aware that there are technologies that people are working on right now. In fact, they're in place. Alberta has, for example, a $1.2 billion pipeline that captures carbon upstream in activities like refining and transports it to old oil fields to inject into the ground to help force oil out. So carbon capture and sequestration, which is what this technology is called, is going to play a very important role in the future. And with that, you can have carbon emissions, you can capture them and use them to actually produce more fossil fuels. So that's sort of a win-win situation. So this idea that in the future, we're going
going to have only renewable or supposedly green sources of energy just isn't realistic. There are some things that we're going to require fossil fuels. So we better get used to that idea and work on technologies that will help green our production of fossil fuels. And you've actually just touched on something very innovative of carbon capture. And you've highlighted in this report that the sector is actually a rare example of innovation in Canadian business, something we don't have nearly enough of. Why is it, do you think, that this innovative angle doesn't get more attention from policymakers? Well, I think because policymakers in Canada in particular don't have a clue about what innovation is. This is a subject near and dear to my heart. I wrote a long paper for the Macdonald-Laurie Institute last summer on innovation and what's gone wrong with it in Canada. And one of the things that's gone wrong is that people focus on things like the inputs of research and development, or they assume innovation can only happen in high-tech industries. When we see quite regularly very important innovations in the resource sector in Canada. For example, canola, first three letters are named after Canada. This was a Canadian invention. The oil sands are very much a a Canadian invention and innovation. And yet when we talk about innovation, we don't talk about how important resources are to Canadian innovation. So I think you ask, why do policymakers don't recognize more that Canadian resources can be innovative? It's because they don't really understand innovation. I think it's also particularly important important in this sector because as a sector that contributes a great deal globally to climate change, those innovations which reduce the emissions and that Canadians are developing could have a huge impact globally. So it's unfortunate that governments don't pay more attention to it. You've touched on this a little bit already, but in your study, you suggest that there's a lot of pessimism around the sector's viability. Now that's unfounded. And so what is it exactly about the critics of the industry? What are they getting wrong about the sector? Well, they assume that energy demand in the future will come from other sources. Obviously, the industry doesn't agree. What they don't understand is that the oil sands investment in this country of $8.3 billion last year still remains substantial. That's four times more, for example, than all the investment in the auto assembly sector. So the industry itself sees a future for it. And by the way, and that was last year when prices were extremely low, prices have already jumped up to well above $60 so far this year. Oil has been participating in the boom in commodity prices we're seeing across the board in this country, whether it's forestry or mining, oil and gas. So we're seeing quite a rebound in the resource sector generally, and fossil fuels have been an important part of that. So the idea that we're going to have a future where there's going to be no demand uh, for fossil fuels and therefore no supply uh, from the oil sands, people are completely missing. There will be a healthy demand for fossil fuels in the future. And any oil production in this country in the future is going to come largely from the oil sands. Already today, the oil sands are 70% of all oil production in this country. So if you're going to have an oil industry in this future, the oil sands are going to be a very large part of it. And so instead of constantly demonizing this sector, we should be understanding better its importance and how we can assure a healthy future for both the industry and for the environment in the future in this country. And so it sounds like what you're saying there is that the critics are measuring investment that's lower today than a few years ago, but they've lost perspective because that was an all-time peak. And that if you actually measure it against other sectors, it's still substantial and still very large. Is that correct? 
Oh, very much so. I think I calculated the oil sands investment was one of the largest in this country. It's more than all retail trade. As to say, it's four times more than the auto assemblies. Investment in the oil sands today, that $8.3 billion, that's as much as the industry was investing in 2005. 2005, the boom in the oil sands was in the middle of its big surge after 2002. So it's not like investment has just dried up and gone to zero. This industry is still a very important player in both investment and production. Output continues to rise every year. As I say, it's simply astonishing how rapidly the oil sands have risen from about 20% of all oil production in this country back in the 80s and 90s to 70% today. And it's poised to continue to grow because the industry continues to invest. People need to understand better the critical importance of this. And as I say, instead of demonizing this industry, we should be working to understand this industry better because it's going to be around for a long time in the future. Yeah, and speaking of not demonizing it, just wanted to get any final thoughts you had on future prospects of the sector and specifically how the federal government might move away from demonization. I know it's not all government and they're not all negative and things they could do maybe to support the sector instead. Well, I think what the government should be doing, most importantly, is to get people to better understand what's going on in the oil sands. This simplistic notion that we have dirty oil and clean hydro just doesn't convey properly what's going on in the industry. There are parts of the industry, for example, where emissions are below the average in the oil industry, which goes back to another point. We talk about the oil sands as if they're one technology or they're one project. In fact, every project is different. Every project has a different economics. Every project has a different environmental footprint. Broadly speaking, there's two types of development of the oil sands. One was the mining technology that is portrayed most often in the media. But more than half of oil sands output today comes from what's called underground, where they heat the oil and it drains into pipes below ground. And its impact on the surface operations is, as one critic noted, pristine. But the drawback is that heating of the oil sands requires natural gas, which causes other emissions. So there's a trade-off there, but it's simplistic to say that the oil sands are all one thing. People need to understand that oil sands involve a range of economics and technologies. They're evolving constantly over time. A lot of perceptions that were built up during the 2000s when the industry was expanding rapidly really don't hold today. And I think the government could do a better job of bringing to people's attentions that the oil sands today is not your grandfather's oil sands. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, Philip, for joining us today. It's an important report. It's an issue that I think does not get nearly enough attention. And it's a rare case of reason for optimism at a very difficult time for this country. So thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you very much for those of you joining in to listen. My pleasure. Thank you, Aaron.